Hi, my name is David Siegler, and welcome to my podcast. Okay, welcome, welcome every property investor, property sourcer, people sourcing property profits, whatever it is you're trying to do to profit from property, this is the place for you, the Property Sourcing Profit podcast. Uh, And I've got something really exciting uh, to share with you on this episode. But first of all, let's check in with you. How are you feeling? What's going on? What are your main strategies? Are you moving forward? What do you need to take the next step? I've got so many friends out there in the property world, in the property communities, in the progressive property community, who have got some knowledge, they've invested some time and effort and education in themselves. They're not moving forward. The whole purpose of my podcast is to make sure you move forward. This is the absolute key because uh, you didn't invest all that time and money to stay where you are. And this stuff is easy. We don't need rocket scientists or brain surgeons or any of that stuff to do what we do. We've just got to do what we do. So what's the point, David? What are you going to talk about today? I'm going to talk about tire kickers and time wasters. Really, David? Are people like that out there? They certainly are. This is what I'm hearing and this is what I've seen in my own world over the years. So you're out there, you want to start a property business, but you're short of money, you're short of cash, you're short of time, you're still in your employment. The whole point of setting up your property business is so that you can get out of your employment, but it's not happening for you. And you go out networking. We go to network meetings, uh, property network meetings, and you're there looking for the cash. You know, and maybe, maybe, You've been at work all day. You know, maybe you're tired. Maybe you don't feel like going out in the evening, but you're going to make yourself go because you're building your property business. You want to build your legacy and you want to get out your job that makes you tired when you've been doing it all day. And um, maybe you want to have some dinner because property network meetings in the, in the evening, you know, and you haven't had your dinner and you're hungry and you're fed up and you're, and you're tired and you want to go home and there's something on the TV you want to watch. I don't know. Maybe you're going to have a Netflix and cuddle evening with your partner. That's a good idea. Much better idea than going to property network meetings, right? Because you go to property network meetings and here's the rub. And you go around property network meetings looking for the money because you're looking for whatever, whatever form it is. You're looking for investors. You're looking for joint venture finance. You're looking with somebody with the cash so that you can get on your way in property, right? And all you find out there when you go to the meetings is other people who are looking for cash. And you're all walking around looking for cash. Who's been to that meeting? I've certainly been to that meeting. Um, And do you know what? It's been dark and it's winter and it's wet and it's windy and it's miserable and you've been at work and you skipped your dinner and you're going to miss your Netflix fest. And you've spent two and a half hours at a network meeting, come back with nothing. Wow. So how do you sort out the tire kickers and the time wasters? Here's what you need to do. The first thing you need to do is keep going. You've got to keep going because the danger is that you're going to give up. In the circumstances, I just painted that picture of network meetings. And we, you know, not all network meetings are like that. They're absolutely not. But there are some. I've been to that network meeting. Um, You've got to keep going because what you're going to do if you keep going, if you're persistent 
And um, it's not an intellectual struggle, this, right? It's a, it's a mindset struggle. It's a mental discipline struggle to keep going, right? We've all got the intellectual capacity to keep going to network meetings, business meetings, breakfast meetings, whatever, and keep meeting people and telling them what we do. But where we go wrong is that we get downhearted, we get... Um, we suspect that we're wasting our time and it's not going to happen for us, so we give up. We just give up. I've seen friends give up. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. But there's other hurdles you're going to get along the way. So, you know, meeting potential investors at network meetings is a challenge, but it's not just about the network meeting because you're not going to meet somebody one evening at a network meeting. They're going to give you all the money you need for all the deals you want to do. That's not how it rolls, right? We have to build a relationship with these people. Uh, so you've got to go through the no like trust thing that all human beings go through. You've got to go meet them for coffee, sometimes lunch, maybe cake might be involved somewhere. Okay. So you go and meet them for coffee and um, how do you work out whether they are time wasters or real people with real funds who want to invest? And this is a challenge uh, I've, I've been asked about very recently by a couple of my mentees, David, you know, I don't want to send this person all the details of my deal because then they have the details of my deal. But actually, you know, I'm not convinced that they're going to invest with me. I don't want them to cut me out. I don't want them to go to the estate agent. I don't want them to, you know, they're going to get an idea of the numbers where I'm working. Might not be in their town. It's in my town, right, which is in a different place in the United Kingdom. I don't want them to get for, for the I don't want them to get the advantage of all my research and then they steal the deal from me, right? Or have they really got any money at all? Do they think they've got some money? You know, when you drill down, um, are they just time wasters and tire kickers? So here's a bit of advice for everyone who's been through that process that I've just uh, outlined very briefly there. Uh, you've met someone, you're not sure if they're going to invest with you, you're not sure if they're investors full stop, how do you drill down and find out if they're real, because the real ones are the ones we want to keep, or they're not real. So here are my top tips you need. You absolutely need a process where you can capture their data so you can weed out the ones that aren't real and work with the ones that are real. And you're going to have to ask these questions. So these are the questions you need to ask. Uh, wherever you are, write them down. Unless you're driving, do not write it down. Uh, you'll have to stop later and write them down then. But this is the sort of questions that you need to ask. This is the drill down section of this podcast episode. This is the learning. This is the teaching. This is the stuff that's going to make you money. The next five minutes or so is what you need to do. First of all, capture their data. Capture that, find out who they are and basic contact details, right? And make sure the contact details work. I will just text you so that you've got my contact details as well and then see if you've got the right phone number, okay? Let me drop you an email now while I'm sitting in front of you just to make sure I've spelt the email address quick, uh, correctly. That is very important. So you've got that in front of you there as well. You need to know their trading style, right? So as an investor, this is a this is a scenario. I am the deal sourcer, right? We're gonna I'm I'm gonna role play with myself, right? I am. It's been been a while. 
But I'm going to role play with myself and I'm just going to keep you informed as who I am. I won't do it in different voices. I'll just use my voice all the way through. Okay, but I am the deal sourcer, the deal packager who wants to earn money by selling the investor the deals. Okay, so as the deal sourcer and the deal packager, it's basic information that I need from the potential investor. I need their contact details, name, address, phone number, uh, email address, need all of that stuff. I need their trading style. How are they going to buy the properties? That is very relevant because if they're going to buy it as an individual, do they know about Section 24? I'm not going to go into that here, but, you know, tax, tax implications of buying property today in your own name. I know back in the day we all used to do it and we're all wrestling with that now, but if they say to you they're going to buy it in their own name, do they need advice? How professional are they? Are there in their lives reasons why they're buying it in their own name? You need to drill down. You know, you need to find out what that is about. Um, what are their current circumstances? Are they currently employed? Right. If they're currently employed, what do they do? What do they earn? You need to ask these questions. If they're self-employed, um, what do their self-employed tax returns look like? Because some self-employed people run lifestyle businesses, right? They put a lot of expenses through their firm, through their self-employed status uh, that normally employed people have to pay out of their tax-paid income. As a result, the profits are very low because they don't want to pay a lot of tax. The problem with self-employed people with low profits in their self-employed work is that... When they come to get mortgages, uh, the lenders can only look at what they declare. It's their tax-paid income, right? They don't necessarily make allowances for that. Um, in certain circumstances, their earnings will be relevant to their lending criteria. Uh, you, you need to know up front if they're self-employed with low earnings, if they are employed. If they're employed, how much do they earn? What's their P60, right? P60 uh, gives you an idea of who they are and what they're achieving, what they're achieving. What is their property experience? That is really important. So if they are new and you are new, this could um, turn into not very much quite quickly. Right, so I had one of my mentees call me very recently. Uh, she had met someone who wanted 15 rent-to-rent -rent opportunities and she wanted them now, right? So uh, they were both young women in this instance. The, the deal sourcer was a young woman. The potential investor was a young woman. Um, the potential investor wanted 15 rent-to-rent opportunity. want them now, and those are my criteria. Those are my numbers. The numbers looked a bit steep. You know, she was pushing net, pushing net about eight £900 a month in that part of the world, right? So if you're in London, it's very achievable. I get it. But in this part of the world, in the north of England, that looked a bit steep to me. And she wanted them now, and uh, what's she going to do with them? She's going to multi-let them, um, HMO-type uh, projects. So she's going to pay a, guarantee a single, lent, uh, single let rent to the owner of the property and then get permission to multi-let the rooms individually, and, and there's your profit there. Okay, so it's a very well-established model. We get it, we honour it and respect it. It works. But 15, and she wants them now. So my, my initial question, and maybe you've got that question in your head already, my initial question that my deal sourcing friend had not asked is how many of these are you running already? 
And are you achieving those sort of net returns on these? And um, when I suggested that my deal sourcing friend ask the question, she was a little bit, you know, embarrassed. Well, you know, I'm sure the woman knows what she's doing, blah, 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 blah. Go and ask the question. Ask the question. She went and asked the question, guess what? None. Right, the investor had none of these. She, she Not only had she not had got any achieving those sort of net returns, she actually didn't have any rent-to-rents at this point. But she'd been on a training not a training that I'm aligned with, I have to I have to say, not a training company that I've been aligned with. And she'd come out motivated and energized to put this property business together now, right? <clears throat> but she's starting from scratch. You know, how's she gonna fund all this stuff? How's she gonna set her the houses up? How's she gonna make sure they're straight and legal? How is she gonna make sure they're straight and legal? Uh even if they're not licensable, you know, maybe we can go at four bed um HMOs, but they're still HMOs, you still gotta have Fire doors, fire safety, appropriate for four-bed HMOs, and uh, there's a cost to that. There's a cost to setting the house up. You know, you have to ask all these questions, right? So what cash is available to the investor? You have to ask that. Where is the cash for this investment and for further investment? Now, if there is cash, uh, let's have a look at it. Let's have proof of funds. Why do we need proof of funds? There are several reasons. The main two are, we are compliant. We have to be compliant property sources. We are subject to supervision, the anti-money laundering supervision by HMRC. And in those circumstances, we have to ask where the money come from has come from. I like to have a screenshot of an account. Uh, they can redact all the uh, stuff on the account statement. They, they don't want me to see. I'm not interested in their... Um, monthly subscription to weird websites and stuff like that. Right, I'm not interested in that. But I want to see their name clearly. I want to see a date clearly. And I want to see how much money they've got clearly. Uh, that that Asking that question appears to be a bit of a hurdle for deal packages, deal sources who are just coming into the industry, right? It's embarrassing to ask. You don't want to ask the question because you're embarrassed. I, I, I don't... I understand it can be embarrassing. I'm not quite sure why it's embarrassing. Because if somebody's got the money, they'll show you the money. And I've asked that question time after time after time. I'm no longer embarrassed asking the question. And it's just a business thing. And um, the second reason you need to know it, the real reason in my business that I need to know it, leaving compliance to one side, I need to know if these people are real. I'm going to spend a bit of work on this. I'm going to spend a bit of time. I'm going to go out and source what they want once I've found out what they want. We'll come to that. Uh, once we find out what they want, I'm going to go. Have they got the cash to do anything? If they haven't got the cash, are they working with people who've got cash? If they're working with people that have got cash, then I need to talk to those people as well, face-to-face, -face, on the phone, Skype, whatever. I need everyone involved on the investor's circle, and I need to talk to them as well. So I need to know their property experience. I need to know their cash available. If they have investment properties, and you will meet investors with investment properties, you'll meet investors with a lot of investment properties, and you'll meet investors at all levels as they go through their investment journey, you have to have an idea of the equity in their portfolio. So um, I met an investor who told me he had £50,000 in cash. 
After our first serious main meeting, he then went on to tell me that actually he had £400,000 in cash. Plus, he had nearly a million pounds worth of unencumbered, no debt, investment property that he built up over his lifetime in work and that we could get access to some of the cash in there. He was more than happy to refinance his existing portfolio and give out and bring it, bring another load of money out. So it was potentially a million pounds worth of cash there. You know, he actually said to me out loud, David, what could you do with a million pounds worth of cash? Wow. All sorts of things, right? We have to put a plan in place. But are you going to be investing on your own? Is it just about you or is are there other partners in that equity? We, we have to ask these questions out loud. We've got to be absolutely clear who you are going to be dealing with, right? And where the cash is coming from. Strategy. Then we get into strategy. What do you want, Mr. Investor, Mrs. Investor? What do you want? Why am I here? What are you looking for? Interesting, the answers you could get to this, right? And um, it is interesting. So if the answer is, I want cash flow, I want cash flow, I've got cash in the bank and building society, earning virtually nothing in interest, inflation eating away at my cash, 3% a year, whatever inflation rate is today. Um, I need to staunch that flow of losses, David. I need to get myself into bricks and mortar, which over time will go up in value. But really what I want is cash flow. I want cash flow. I want low cost of entry. If someone says to you, you know, they want to put the minimum amount of money down and they want cash flow in their lives, then friends in the north, you will be sitting there listening to this saying, I can do that. That's my customer. That's, you know, I need to get them up the A1, the M1, whatever, the M6, get them into my deals because I can look after them, right? But it's about them. It's what they want. If they say to you, I understand about property, David. I have some personal experience over years and years and years. And I know what's going to make me wealthy, right? So I've got significant income from my employment. You will hear that as you go through the journey. What I need is capital growth over time because wealth in property comes from capital growth. And uh, it's in recent years that I've realized this in my own life, right? So cash flow is great. Cash flow will pay your bills. Cash flow will get you out of your job. It will. But cash flow will not make you a millionaire. You need to invest in property where prices are going to go up over time. And uh, in the southeast of England, in and around London is the best place. But in the southeast of England, generally, that is where you, we're going to become wealthy. I know, team, right? I went to Manchester in 2004 because I wanted cash flow in my life, because I wanted low cost of entry, because I was fed up with putting huge deposits in every time I bought a property. I, d I did. And together with my business partner, we bought over 50 houses in and around Greater Manchester, right? The cash flow is great, especially uh, when in 2008 interest rates went down and we have benefited from uh, the base rate being at about half a percent, three quarters of a percent now today. Uh, through that period, we have. However, this is what happened. You know, property prices went up 2007, 2008, they crashed. They're only now, 2019, only now recovering to 2007 levels. That's the truth of it, guys, because I bought in 
smaller towns, dormitory towns, proper towns, but northern towns, not in city centres. You know, why Why would I buy something in Manchester city centre at any point in history, whether it's 2007, 2017, whatever, uh, if I can buy something in the south of England in a city centre there for the same amount of money? What's the point of going north and making a southern-style investment? Here's the thing that I have learnt. I thought I was being clever in 2004, 5, 6, buying all that stuff, low cost of entry for cash flow in the north of England. And um, it's not going to hurt me, it's not. But instead of buying 50-plus houses in the north of England, what if I bought five in London? I'd be in a completely different place today. And yes, in the early years, I might have had to juggle a bit with cash flow. I might. Uh, I, I, it would If I could find something just about washed its face, just about covered the expenses of uh, owning the, the, the property, then uh, but with no profit, then over the last 10, 12 years, uh, in and around London, that property would have doubled and doubled again virtually. And now I know it's dipped now. Uh, we're in 2019 now when I'm recording this. I know there's a little pause now. But by 2030, where are we going to be? Uh, and in 2030, if you're standing in a grubby small town in the northwest, northeast of England, Northumberland, wherever, East Lanks, right, what are the values of those houses going to be there? You know, it's taken 2,000 years to get the 50 grand, some of them, right? They're not going to change your life. I'm just, I'm just guessing, but I, it's an educated guess. Capital growth in those towns is not going to change your life. Capital growth... In Bournemouth, Brighton, London, those sort of towns, Cambridge, Bristol, Oxford, you know, the great towns of the UK. I'm tempted to put York in. I am, because we've had decent capital growth there, but in my experience, not the same as the other cities that I've just mentioned. Those other trophy cities are the ones where you want to invest your money, because over a period of time, your investment will double and double again. So is that what your investor wants? Don't forget, we're talking to our investors here. This is a fact-finding thing. Next on the fact-finding list, what strategies does your investor want to follow? You know, he can't say to me uh, as an investor, well, you just go and buy something, David. I'm sure it'd be fine. No, no, no. He needs or she needs to know what they're getting involved with. We're not selling Kit Kats here. This is a big investment. Right, so they need to know what they're doing. So do they want to go from single and add value by going to HMO? Do they want to buy a commercial building that they might be able to convert into service accommodation use? That is a big project, right? But the rewards are bigger. Uh, but you have to know what you're doing. You know, so HMO, service accommodation, commercial conversion, or just single lets. Single let, the thing about single lets is... I was going to say every property investor of some note that I know. Um, you might be able to find one or two exceptions. But, you know, for every exception you find me, I find you 100 who go the other way. Virtually every big-time property investor that I know, the fundamental foundation of their property business is single-let properties, houses, flats, Stuff that they've held for a long time that's gone up in value. Uh, you, that Single lets are still the go-to choice for most of the investors that I deal with. Because single lets work, 
singlets. Um, the downsides are limited. HMOs, you've got to have great management for HMOs. The massive respect for HMO owners, matching, uh, HMO managers, people that run uh, and source HMOs. It's, it's a difficult thing to do, and you have to have the expertise to do it. You have single lets. You don't have to be quite as technically on your game, right? You need to have really good on-the-ground management you do, or you're going to manage it yourself. I wouldn't. I would not recommend that you manage it yourself. I don't think you should uh, because your time can be spent elsewhere, doing better things elsewhere as an investor. As a deal packager, I won't manage stuff myself, right? I, you will never hear me saying I'm opening a letting agency to manage all the investors' stuff, right? Because I don't want to be a letting agent. That is a full-time job on its own. That is increasingly a technical job, right? You need property professionals to do that. I'll introduce you to favoured, favourite professional property managers. I will, but I don't want to do it on my own. So moving on, what else do you need to know? You need to know whether they've got the money, who they are, what their strategy is, who they're working with, what funds they've got available. What's the plan? What is it? What are their goals, their dreams, their aspirations? Let's get a little bit fuzzy around the edges with this now. But you need to know what the plans are. What's a 12-month plan? Where do they see themselves in two years? Five years is a long time. Long time. Lots of things can change in five years. But if we were standing in five years' time today looking back, where, Mr. or Mrs. Investor, in your property business would you like to be? Let's put some numbers on it. What capital growth do you want to see? What income do you want to see? What type of properties do you want to see in your head? Where are we going to be looking back from five years down the road? So it's really, really important. Having drilled down and got the answer to those questions, a lot of people that you meet who are saying they are property investors will not be property investors. You will not be able to work to them with them because they're going to stumble and they're not going to give you the numbers. And why aren't they giving you the numbers? Because they haven't got the numbers probably, right? And you've got to move on. So, in summary, this is what you have to do. You are building a relationship with your investor. And you have to go through no like, and trust to get to the point where you can build that relationship, right? So, you meet them at networking. Go to network meetings. Keep networking. Keep shaking hands. Do not give up. That's the easy bit. It feels hard when you're doing it. That's the easy bit. When you finally sit down with somebody, you have got to decide if they are a time waster, a tire kicker, or someone that you're going to build a relationship with and you're going to work with forever. And you don't know until you start drilling down. So do not, do not be afraid to ask the questions. What you're trying to do here is build a one-to-one -one relationship with your property investor. It's all about building rapport. It's all about shared goals, shared values, shared interests. And now, once you've got that investor in place and you've ticked all the boxes, you can go out and just source to order. And it's so much easier. What do I mean by that? You just go shopping. You're just going shopping and looking for exactly what it is that that investor wants in their life, in their property portfolio to Make them rich and wealthy over time, and you will get handsomely paid for doing it as well. Fab. I hope this helps. 
I hope you're able to weed out all the time wasters and tire kickers. I hope you're going to be able to develop your list, your systems for weeding out the time wasters and tire kickers. If you've got any any queries out there on this stuff, message me. I will try to help. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and uh, I look forward to seeing you very, very soon. Thank you for listening. I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode.